Welcome to the Mindful You podcast. Today's guest, Barry Musdell, who has spent over 25 years focusing on the conversation of developing leaders, developing executives. How can you build successful teams? How can you navigate through the churnings and issues and ups and downs of the situations that we're facing in our societies and our businesses worldwide. And I'm happy to have him today sharing about how mindfulness, being present, communication is all a part of developing leaders. So I'd like to welcome Barry to the Mindful You podcast. Hi, Barry. So let's start with a question about leadership. Let's start with a question mm -hmm. about mindfulness. And how do you see, first of all, how do you see mindfulness and the ability to be present and mindful in the moment? And how mm -hmm. is that connected to being a leader and being present in the moment? Great question. Uh, I would say that the number one flaw that we observe in leaders is a lack of self-awareness. And what I mean by that is it usually takes leadership 360 reviews or it takes personality assessments for them to better understand their own motivators or behaviors or blind spots to have a better sense of self and then we go through an exercise or practice that really shifts them from being a reflexive leader to being a more reflective leader. And the irony of this journey, Alan, is if I were to ask 100 leaders, how would they naturally solve this simple problem? Over 80% of them would admit or say that they would do it the right or the reflective way. But the irony is when you then put them to task and you role play and video record them solving a very simple everyday problem, 99.5% of those people recorded, and we've recorded in this journey, not me, but the people who utilize this intellectual property, have recorded over half a million people doing this, and 99.5% of them, no matter how friendly they are, naturally act like they're in the savanna versus the business world and instinctively solve the problem. So the reason I, I say that is it's two things. One, it's being mindful of self and being able to understand and go through assessment and discovery and feedback to get a better real perspective, not how you see yourself, which matters, but more importantly, how others see and interact with you. That would be number one. And then number two, and I can relate to this because this is exactly the journey I went on that drove me into wanting to do this for so many others. Number two is 
even when you've learned those tools, you're shifting from what I call, Alan, an unconscious incompetence, meaning you just solve and you don't even know why you instinctively do it, through a mindfulness journey all the way through to what we call unconscious competence to then know and have the natural skills to actually be reflective in any interaction with your people, your clients, your customers, and anybody else. And the difference is actually being able to effectively listen and being mindful of the situation and being mindful that the person you're in front of has a story to tell, they have challenges that they're facing, and instead of solving them for them, which you think you're doing a great service, they think like they ultimately walk away being told and feel dismissed and feel sometimes even to the point of stupid, right? You thought you were doing a great thing. They didn't see it the other way around. So it's being able to be mindful of putting yourself in the other person's shoes and asking the right questions and structuring the conversation and giving your data to make sure you're aligned and then collectively working together and empowering that person who has the problem to go off and then try to solve the problem. So it's a, it's certainly a strong sense of awareness, maybe not exactly the scientific term of mindfulness that you're offering, but ultimately what it boils down to is being mindful in the moment. And one of the things that we teach people is how to observe when they're really good at it and then observe when they're still challenged with it as they're moving from conscious competence and awareness of the skill to then making it subconscious or unconscious and happening, nat happening naturally. You know, things like leaving your phone on the other side of the room, closing your laptop and moving to another part of the room. So you're having that one-on-one -on -one discussion intently without distraction. As a leader, not worrying about being efficient to keeping the trains running on time in your schedule, but being effective and present in the moment with that person and then utilizing all these tools. Wow. So many, so many sweet words you said there that are just gold mines to be able to mm -hmm. un uncover. Self-awareness, sure. observation, being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. All those are terms that a mindfulness person would say, yep, the idea is to be present in the present moment. But then, the, then mm -hmm. the question is, well, if they're not present in the present moment, if they're not self-aware, then where are they? Where are they right. in their head? Where, yeah. if, they're not, if they're not here in this meeting, where the heck are they? They're, they're thinking about the problem that came up themselves they have to solve. They're thinking about their calendar and what's next and how do I get this person out of my office so I can get my five-minute break in so I can answer those three pending urgent emails and so on and so on and so forth, right? It's, it's, it's the natural inclination that leaders feel that others observe them to have to be efficient and look like they've got it all together. But in reality, none of us have it all together. Right. So it, it's the ability to be vulnerable and admit that and be humble and Ooh. show weakness and show that you don't have the answers. Like, you know, everyone's given the great interview advice. If you get asked a question and you don't know the answer, 
or by a customer in sales, you'll make way more of a positive impression on that person by saying, you know what? I, I don't know the answer. I'm sorry, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get you that answer. I'm going to commit to finding that answer. And through hell or high water, and I know it's dependent on the people getting me that answer, I'm going to get back to you in this amount of time. Right? So it's that mindfulness and that commitment to being humble and vulnerable that impacts our interaction with other people, whether it's in life or whether it's in work or whether it's, you know, in a pyramid organization where you have the authority of being a boss, but an authoritative boss who has the title. And I'll, I'll refer to John Maxwell, a very good leader who writes on leadership. Good. Level one is you have a title because you're the boss. Yep. There's five levels to evolve to. Right. And we help people on that journey to understand them and how to apply different tools and then becoming that fifth level generation, um, fifth level category, if you will, of leader. Let's take a look at that word vulnerability. Sure. And we'll look at the word of characteristics of a professional leader. I'll use the mm-hmm. word professional leader. Someone sure. who who has been in the been in the driver's seat, has driven the vehicle, has experienced, and on the journey, they have learned how to be more reflexive, be more aware of what is going on in in the reality in which they live, and some of the characteristics of a a person who is good at the game, good at the leadership game. And one of the ones you pointed out was the area of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Being able to not have it all together, to be mm-hmm. able to realize that most of the knowledge in the world you don't know. Right. <laughs> and so often you're, you're going to be asked, what are what are the answers? And vulnerability means exactly what you said is that I, I don't know. However, I work for the largest organization in the United States and we have resources and that's why you want to do business with me. I'll go contact my resources and I'll get back to you. And one of the characters, go on. For sure. And and to take that further, you know, all the great leaders I've had the fortune to either work with, train, interview on my YouTube leadership series, however I find them and interact with them. The vulnerability comes from just a more human to human mentality and approach. They don't wake up thinking that these are my employees. They wake up thinking about these are people on my team. These are people whose lives I have a responsibility for and not just themselves, but also their families. And the the best quote I ever heard about leaders was, hey, if I'm ever the smartest person in the room as a leader, it's time for me to leave. I need to be the most mindful person in the room, to your point earlier, but I absolutely should not ever be the smart And just admitting that is a first step in vulnerability to surround yourself with subject matter experts who know a heck of a lot more than you do, regardless of whether the topic is HR, finance, sales, marketing, operations, logistics, supply chain, I could go on and on. But that's what makes a great leader is understanding that of self. 
I love it. I love it. I think of a Tony Robbins quote. And Tony Robbins said, you want to operate with people who are a league above you. Uh, and it's like, oh, no, they're, they're much smarter than me. Well, you know, the, the tide rises all the ships. And so by hanging out with people who have a, a greater understanding of the subject matter allows you to be in that vibration, you know, and, and begins to right. elevate yourself. And, and if you're comfortable in your own skin and humble enough to admit you don't know, and that's why you surround yourself with the subject matter experts, in essence, by choosing to do that, you're actually showing the first stage of vulnerability because you don't fear replacement. You don't fear not being the smartest. You don't fear not being seen as the highest IQ. What great leaders all have in common, Alan, is they have enough practical experience and acumen to have a required enough level of IQ to understand concepts, to be in the present, to digest information yep. and, and offer a perspective or an opinion that has business IQ sense related to it. But that's just, they only have to have enough of that. What truly great leaders have is the highest level of EQ. And if there's one common trait amongst all the different personality types, regardless, people used to think in the 60s, oh, the aggressive dominant drivers are the only ones that make the best leaders. Not the case. So it's having that EQ and self-awareness and understanding the personality traits of others and chameleon yourself to how to relate to this person because they're of this personality style. And these are their specific intrinsic motivators and vice versa, depending on the situation and who you're in front of. Just that conscious awareness of adapting self to the individual nature of that one other person at a time. And that's only level two or three. That makes a huge, compelling impact on the receiver of that interaction and that exchange. Wow. So let's go back and get the definition of EQ so my audience will know what that means. Yeah, basically it's emotional intelligence. It's the other type of intelligence. But there's lots of batteries of tests out there that measure your IQ, you know, how, in, how intellectually smart are you? Emotional intelligence is how aware of environments are you? Do you have the ability to understand someone else's motivations? Do you have the ability to observe and understand why people behave the way in which they behave? Do you have a comprehensive understanding of your own blind spots to know that in moments of pressure and stress, this is the natural tendencies in which you naturally revert to under pressure and how do those behaviors impact others? That's really emotional intelligence and being aware in the moment. That's very much tied in with mindfulness. Mindfulness exactly. has a lot to do with being able to have, uh, one of the sayings is you're welcome to have strong positions, mm -hmm. but hold them lightly. Exactly. And and when you have a strong position, you can hold it lightly. It allows for flexibility. And flexibility allows for listening. So mm -hmm. how how does listening affect being a 
being a great leader to me is connected with listening. No, that, that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a naturally analytical thinker. So every time I'm making a point, I will probably reference a statistic because it kind of drives the point home in my personality. But, you know, 90% of people listen to wait their turn to talk. Right. <laughs> 10% of people actually listen effectively and obviously, I've met you for the first time. I'm doing my second podcast interview ever, right? I have to listen intently to know and hear and understand the most part. I heard your question. Did I understand your question? Right. Do I then create the time, regardless of what amount of silence gap there is, it shouldn't matter. That uncomfortableness of silence is actually a good thing because if your brain doesn't work to the answer as necessarily fast as someone else in the room who may or may not, again, back to mindfulness and self-awareness, that's not a flaw. That's not a crush. That's not a weakness. I'm going to take the time to reflect on your question. If I don't understand your question, I'm then going to ask you to clarify it. Number one, right. If I do understand it before I answer, I'm still going to get in step with you right? and give you a listening statement to confirm uh -huh. before I answer uh -huh. that I heard you properly. That's right? excellent. Excellent. That's a good so that, that shows that I'm actually effectively listening and not just waiting for the pause to jump in and then speak. Wow. That's great. The, the I, I find that the, uh, listening uh, is a challenge for many people. And well, often, it's funny you say that, right? As an example, I always say to people, think about how intently you listen to your children when they come to you in tears or have a need. It's your natural instinct to want, you may still want to solve, which is wrong, but you still want to understand because you have an emotional connection to helping that child. Conversely, how many times do we all have the skill, right? That we're doing something important, whether it's reading, watching a football game, we're in our own zone. And your wife comes down the stairs and is starting to talk to you. Yeah. Right. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll get that done. Yeah. I heard you're not, you're not, you're not paying attention. You don't pause the game. And now we have the power on PVR to pause it. That's right. And shift and be intentional and give them your presence. Right. But because we have such a comfort level in that relationship, there's almost an anticipated behavior that your wife expects are gonna be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard you, that's great. All she's looking for is the wave of acknowledgement. But imagine the impact if you actually paused the game, got up, turned towards them, made eye contact and said, sorry, honey, I missed that. The game was still on. I wanted to give you my undivided attention. What is it you want to talk about for five? Right. The impact. So if you, can, if you naturally do it for your kids and you naturally don't do it for your wives, theoretically, Right. And you can and should. Don't get me wrong. Right. But you think about those two extremes and how you can bring presence, which, again, relates to mindfulness, 
to the conversation. And one of the things that we teach is how to make sure you are acting mindful and acting reflectively, but also when you put it into practice, it sounds great in theory, but that's why you have to continue to use the muscle. And we make our people follow up with us and give us every single week we talk to them. Give me the best two examples of you applying this last week. Fantastic. Now let's talk about the two times where you didn't think you were as effective and you didn't feel like this was unconsciously competent and you kind of reverted. And what we study is, was it the person you were dealing with and they're a harder style to understand? Was it the environment? Were there external pressures? Were, were any other environmental factors? Because we've seen and heard every single scenario where people still struggle to do it. So it's not like an online course you can learn and then go apply and hope you succeed. The benefit for us is the more sticky it gets for you, the more potential it is that you see this awakening or this magic, as we like to call it, and the more people you're going to tell about as a positive awakening. I like to call it crossing the leadership bridge because you're always on a movement journey and you come to that bridge where you're either going to stand there for the rest of your career, you're going to dip a toe the wrong way and drown, or you're going to take the time and invest in yourself to move across that bridge. And sometimes the bridge can be smooth and slow. Sometimes the bridge can be old fashioned and rickety. It really, you really define by your application and commitment to it, what type of actual bridge your journey is, and then the beauty of getting out on the other side of it. And crossing a bridge that's rickety requires courage sometimes. So I would imagine courage is part of leadership also. Uh, I would say that the number one thing that I look for in prospective clients when I'm having a conversation with them is not what they can afford. It's not how much time are they willing or not willing to commit because life is busy. Um, it's really about courage. I ask, I literally ask them to rate their courage on a scale of one to 10 and then give me two or three examples of why they gave me that number, whether that's a pro or a con. Sure. Because I think people have to reflect inside themselves to say, do I know I have a need? That's probably the hardest part in leadership, to be honest, Alan, is people having the self-awareness and mindfulness, to your point, to, to see all the challenges going on in their workforce and their workplace, results, people, clients, vendors, you name it. All the everyday challenges we go through. To have the mindfulness, the self-awareness to say, maybe I'm the problem, maybe I need to go and do better, versus that person's got to go on a performance plan. That person we need to get rid of. That person we need to probably move from that seat on the bus to that seat on the bus. The last thing people ever look at is themselves. So to do that takes courage. And then to reach out and inquire and find assistance to recognize you can be better at something takes courage. But all the great leaders I talk to, and all the great leaders I interview, because they're really good case studies, the number one commonality, other than vulnerability and humbleness, 
is they've all had formal leadership training at some point throughout their careers. And they've all got that thing, whatever it is, to go back and refer to as a refresher or to replenish that muscle, if you will, as a, as a, as a reminder when they face more challenging times. Wow. That is great. What a rich, rich conversation, Barry. We have a couple more minutes and I really would like my audience to have an opportunity if they wanted to connect with you, wanted to find out more about uh, your organization, how they, how they can do with that. Also, all your links will be included in the show notes. Sure. And it goes out to the distributed to the world. They'll be able to see all the details, but <laughs> no, that's that now. I mean, go on. Yeah, at, at, sure. At the end of the day, um, we have created, and I'm the founder of a leadership program called the boost leadership program. And unlike fancy acronyms, like smart goals, boost is exactly what it says. It is. We're boosting leadership performance whether that's amongst a leadership team or whether that's individually one-on-one. It's a 90-day program designed to move you to becoming that truly reflective leader away from a natural instinct of being a reflexive leader to move you from either level one, two, or three. If you think about John Maxwell's five levels of leadership, we take leaders on that are level one, level two, or level three. And we migrate them within 90 days to level four and then level five. And what would be the website that we could contact you on? We are at www.anfieldbusinessconsultants.com. I'm originally from Liverpool, England, and I'm a huge global football supporter, not American football, even though I follow the NFL. So for lots of you, that would be considered soccer. And Liverpool is one of the most famous clubs in the world. The stadium that they play at is called Anfield. And the um, theory or the tagline around the Liverpool Football Club is you'll never walk alone. Well, our company tagline is you'll never work alone. We're here to be your partner. We're here to help you on your journey. And we're here to help you succeed. Wonderful. Well, Barry, I thoroughly enjoyed the just a little touch of, of, of a deep conversation. And I, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and knowledge on, on your journey. And thank you very much. And I would like to continue. Can't do it today, but I, I'd like to continue our conversation on leadership because you're a rich resource for our audience. Anytime, Alan. I'd love to join you. It's, it's a topic that I have a great passion for and I never get tired of talking about. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening. And please catch us on the next great episode of the Mindful You podcast. And please share us with your friends and fellow travelers on the path.